Welcome to the Prosperity Gap, where we discuss the financial gap that exists between you and your retirement. It's time to bridge that gap. Hello, and welcome to the Prosperity Gap. My name is Dave Hall, and I'm the Prosperity Guy, and I will be the host of the show. If you've not yet made the commitment to subscribe to the show, today is the day. I release a new show every Friday, and I would hate for you to miss out on any of the great content I share here on the program, especially my question and answer time with the producer of the show, C.R. Tulane. In today's show, I'm going to be talking about annuities. Yes, you heard me right. I did just say one of the most hated words in all of retirement. But for those of you who have had a bad experience with annuities in the past or have misgivings towards them, I invite you to stay on the show and give me a chance to help you better understand why even many financial planners who have been against annuities for decades are finally changing their tune. And I'll give you a hint. It has a lot to do with the fact we're all living longer than our ancestors did and that interest rates are in the toilet. But before I get into the exciting details of why we all should reconsider annuities, let's take a minute for a word from our sponsor. Today's show is being brought to you by eTrends Group, CPAs and strategic advisors. To learn more about their services and how they can help you with your common and not-so-common financial problems, go to www.etrendsgroup.com. As a parent of six children, one of the fun experiences you have at times is trying to get your children to eat things they've already built up some type of bias towards. My youngest son, Joshua, is definitely more picky than my other five children. So we tend to have more of these food experiences with him than we've had with any of our other kids. One of these experiences happened just a few months ago. I'd brought a food home from the grocery store, and after looking at it, Josh was just sure it was going to be nasty. It happened to be a food I really liked but hadn't been able to get during the last five years while we've been in Puerto Rico. So being the good dad that I am, I was completely fine letting him believe the food was going to be everything he expected to be. Yucky and nasty, because that meant there would be more of it left for me. But then my wife stepped into the situation, and she didn't realize I was completely okay with Josh not trying this new food. So she insisted he try it. Yes, I'm sure you've guessed by now what happened. He fell in love with the food and ate the rest of it, leaving not even a small sample for me. Now, why do I tell you this story? Because I believe there are a couple of great correlations to annuities. Number one, you should never discount annuities without getting a full understanding on how they might help your retirement. And number two, know that there is a group of people out there who are hoping you won't buy an annuity, similar to how I didn't want my son to try the food. And these people are those who already have annuities and are wanting to buy more. Because unlike so many other things in the world, there is a fixed amount of annuities that can be sold because of the part of the annuity that makes it so great, and that is the mortality credits. These are the extra credits you get because other people who have purchased an annuity die before they get all their benefits. Therefore, there is a finite number of these credits. Probably the best place I can start when talking about annuities is with a big picture overview of what they are. An annuity is a contract. Now, you're often referred to as the annuitant and an insurance company. As with any other contract, there are promises that are being made by both parties. You're promising to make contributions to the insurance company, and the insurance company is promising to pay you a certain amount of money on a periodic basis or for a specific period of time. 
Maybe a different way to look at what annuity is would be to look at your social security. You make contributions to the program throughout your working years, and then the federal government guarantees you a check on a monthly basis for the rest of your life. I always find it interesting that so many people can love Social Security and hate annuities when they're both designed to accomplish the same thing, which is to provide you with a guaranteed stream of lifetime income. Anyway, I will try not to digress on this topic. Many people will lead you to believe that an annuity is a tax advantage investment. But I think we need to look at this a lot closer today than people have in the past. The argument for annuities being a tax advantage asset comes from the way the growth works inside of the annuity. Most annuities are structured where the investment earnings grow tax-free until you begin to withdraw the income. In the power of zero paradigm, this is called the tax-deferred income. The belief for most people has always been that tax rates are going to be lower in the future than they are today. So take advantage of tax-deferred growth and then pay the tax at a period of time when taxes are surely going to be lower than they are now. Now, for those of you who lived in the 70s, this was a great plan, because the highest marginal tax rate in the 70s was a whopping 70%. So how could taxes ever be higher than this? Well, fast forward 50 years, and what we find is we're in a period of historically low tax rates. So what people are doing by deferring their taxes is compounding a problem they will have no ability to solve in the future. And that future is its time in their life, they will have the least ability to replace income that is going to be lost to increase taxes. Now, there are three other misgivings many people have with annuities, and they're valid concerns that need to be addressed. Misgiving number one is the lack of liquidity. Many annuities are structured to where you cannot pull any money out of them besides your annuity payment. And even if you can pull money out of these annuities, since they're designed primarily for retirement purposes, you'll often be subject to fees. Now, some of these fees coming from the insurance companies and some of these fees coming from the IRS if you pull the money out of a tax-deferred annuity before you reach age 59 and a half. For those of you who are concerned with this liquidity issue, be aware there are many annuities out there now that will allow you to work around it. Misgiving number two is the cost of an annuity. Another big issue that needs to be taken into consideration when looking into annuities And this is one of the biggest problems many people have with annuities, is they can have very high fees. What I found from my 20 plus years of experience in dealing with annuities, though, is that when you have exuberant fees, it's because you have a bad advisor who is working for a bad insurance company. When annuities are sold, commissions are paid, and unfortunately, that can be too much of a temptation for some bad advisors. So they get what I call commission breath. And they focus on their pocketbook rather than your success. They take high commissions and put the onus of paying for these commissions right back on you. What I recommend if you've had this experience in the past or if you have it in the future is that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because there are some bad advisors and bad insurance companies out there selling bad products doesn't mean that all annuities are bad and that they can't play a very important part in your retirement that will be one of the longest self-imposed periods of unemployment most people are ever going to have. You need to remember, annuities provide benefits other investments can't, including mortality credits. So make sure you include all these benefits when looking into the fee structure of the annuity you're wanting to buy. Misgiving number three is the Mack truck factor. The Mack truck factor is the risk that you take all of your retirement savings 
convert them into an annuity, and then die the next day after being hit by a Mack truck. Having thus received your guaranteed stream of lifetime income, although it was only for a day, but losing out on being able to transfer the remaining asset value of the annuity to your beneficiaries. Luckily, forward-thinking annuity companies have made updates to their products, allowing you to eliminate the Mack truck factor from the equation. Let's now take a minute and talk about how annuities work. When it comes to annuities, there are two main categories, and they're different based upon when they begin to pay out. The first one is an immediate annuity, and the second is a deferred annuity. The immediate annuity is referred to as a single premium index annuity, or what the industry often refers to as a SPIA. With a SPIA, you give the insurance company a lump sum of money, and then you start receiving payments right away. When you start receiving these payments, they can be either a fixed amount or a variable amount based upon the contract you choose to enter into. Typically, you might choose a SPIA if you have a one-time windfall, such as an inheritance. People who are close to retirement may also take a portion of their retirement savings and buy an immediate annuity as a way to supplement their income from Social Security and other sources. But you need to make sure you look at the paperwork because most SPIAs will be subject to the misgivings we talked about earlier. Now, deferred annuities are structured to allow you to accumulate capital over your working life and then convert this capital into an income stream in retirement. The contributions you make to the annuity grow tax deferred until you take income from the account. This period of regular contributions and tax deferred growth is called the accumulation phase. You can purchase a deferred annuity with a lump sum, a series of periodic contributions, or a combination of the two. Now, there are some cool things deferred annuities offer that SPIAs often don't. They can help you overcome the issue with lack of liquidity and the Mack truck factor by providing you with an opportunity to take up to 10% of the account balance without penalty and by allowing you to receive any remaining contribution balance if you die before the assets are liquidated. Another option I recommend for those I work with is to include these annuities inside of their Roth IRA. That way they can also eliminate the future problems you will encounter with tax rate risk because now the annuity becomes tax-free. Within the broad categories of immediate and deferred annuities, there's also several different types of annuities from which to choose. These include fixed, indexed, and variable annuities. A fixed index provides a predictable source of retirement income with relatively low risk. With a fixed annuity, you'll receive a specific amount of money every month for the rest of your life or another period you've chosen, say such as five years, 10, or even 20 years. Fixed annuities offer the security of a guaranteed rate of return regardless of whether the insurance company earns a sufficient return on its own investments to support that rate. In other words, the risk is on the insurance company, not you, but that also means that you're going to get a much lower rate of return, which can also be problematic when your goal with an investment should be safe and productive. The downside of a fixed annuity is that if the investment markets do unusually well, the insurance company, not you, will reap all the benefits. What's more, in a period of serious inflation, the low-paying fixed annuity can lose spending power year after year. The next type of annuity is an indexed annuity. Indexed annuities, also called equity indexed or fixed indexed annuities, combine the features of a fixed annuity with the possibility of some additional investment growth depending on how the financial markets perform. 
you're guaranteed a certain minimum return plus a return pegged to any rise in the relevant market index, such as the S&P 500. This is the type of annuity I recommend with most of my planning because you can alleviate all of the misgivings of a SPIA, but also get productive growth and be able to put it into the tax-free environment of a Roth IRA. The last type of annuity is a variable annuity. Rather than being tied to a market index as index annuities are, variable annuities provide a return that's based on the performance of a portfolio of mutual funds you've selected. The insurance company may also guarantee a certain minimum income stream if the contract includes a guaranteed minimum income benefit option. Because of the volatility of a variable annuity, this type of annuity should generally only be used with very complex planning. Now, the last thing I want to talk briefly about is when it comes time to annuitize the annuity. There is a mathematical calculation performed when it comes time to take money out of the annuity. The primary factors that go into the calculation are the current dollar value of the account, your current age, the longer you wait before taking income, the greater your monthly payment will be, the expected future inflation-adjusted returns from the account's assets, and your life expectancy based upon industry standard life expectancy tables. Finally, if you have any spousal provisions included in the contract, they'll be factored into the equation as well. Most annuitants choose to receive monthly payments for the rest of their lives and their spouse's lives in case their spouse outlives them. As I wrap this up, I hope I've accomplished two things. First, giving you a better understanding of annuities and how they work, and second, helping you realize that all the misgivings people have had in the past when it comes to annuities can be overcome by using annuity products provided by forward-thinking insurance companies. Now, if you're ready to learn more about how annuities can change your retirement, all you have to do is go to my website at theprosperityguy.com and request a free strategy session with one of our certified prosperity advisors. While you're there, feel free to sign up for one of our upcoming webinars or to submit any questions you want answered. I'm happy to answer these questions either on the show or I'll send you an email with a follow-up answer. Prosperity Nation, it is time for questions and answers with our producer, C.R. Tulane. Hey, C.R., welcome back to the show. Hey, Dave, glad to be here. C.R., it's so fun to always hook up with you every week for a couple of minutes to talk about our lives and to also talk about questions our listeners have. It feels great because we're so far apart, but at the same time, it makes us feel like we're together, and I really love it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Dan, I want to talk a little bit why I had you on the show to talk about your hobby. I believe you're a collector. Is that right? Yeah, I may dabble in collecting a certain <laughs> item here and there. Well, let's let the listeners get to know you a little better. Maybe talk a little bit about what it is that you collect. Well, I do collect Pez dispensers. It's one of those crazy things. There's not a lot of us out there, but there are, if you really dive into it, you will find a group. But I've been collecting Pez for, oh, probably about 25 years now, maybe 30 years, actually. So how many of them do you have right now, if you were to count them all up? Uh, the last count I had, I uh, was about 1,700 Pez. Wow. And I will tell you, he does definitely have 1,700. And how do I know that? Because every time I go to a store and I see a Pez, I think of him and I think, oh, that's got to be a new one that he doesn't have. And then I send you a picture, and what happens every time I send a picture? 
I have it. <laughs> he has it. I think there's been one time of probably uh, 10 or 15 times that I've sent, sent a picture thinking I had an awesome gift for CR. And uh, there's been one time out of that that he didn't have the Pez that I had the picture of. Well, you're not the only one. I have a lot of people that see my Pez and then they send me picture after picture anywhere they are with <laughs> Pez. And I have to break their hearts over and over because getting Pez is a lot harder nowadays. Yeah, I would assume so. What's the history of Pez? Why did it start? Well, there's a guy named Edward Haas. I re sound really nerdy, but he was in Austria and he was actually looking for a way to help people to reduce smoking or quit smoking. And so he came out with uh, Pez, which was really in a tin and it was uh, menthol, eucalyptus, mint. They were just breath mints. And the word Pez comes from the German word, which I will slaughter, but if you break it down, it, it spells Pez. I mean, but what happens is, is he created this and thought it was really fun. And then he created what's called the regulator. It's a Pez dispenser without a head. It just had a flat top. And if you look at it and you flick the head back, it kind of reminds people of a lighter. And he created this to make it look like, hey, if you have a lighter, you're fidgeting in your pocket, let's put a Pez dispenser in there instead. And then he had those crazy flavors. And then in about the 50s, he said, let's bring this uh, and make it more of a kid novelty. And we'll put some heads on it. And then it just blossomed from there. And they actually have a Pez Museum, which I have not been to yet, but it's in Orange, Connecticut. I'm hoping to go there this fall if everything is opening. Uh, that would be super awesome, especially for someone like you to be able to experience the actual Pez Museum. Yeah, I've, I've been to one. They have one in Burlingame, California, which is just a small one. A little collector charges you like two bucks to go into a back room. It's kind of <laughs> shady, but, but it really is a cool place. He has at least one of every Pez dispenser that was made. But the real one is in Orange, Connecticut, and it is fantastic. I've been through it virtually, and I told my kids that, and they said, Dad, you are such a nerd. But it's something I really love and I'm passionate about. So there's an opportunity for you then, I see. So our office in Enterprise, Utah, where CR lives, right outside, there's a snow cone shack. So CR, I guess what you can do is start charging 50 cents or a dollar once the kids get their snow cone to come through and be able to walk through and see your Pez. <laughs> that won't be shady at all if I said, hey, kids, come on in, look at my Pez. Uh, <laughs> that might be a little strange, but you're right. Maybe I could start making a profit just to show and, and give them a Pez dispenser or a, a pack of candy after. <laughs> <laughs> what is the Pez that you have that's worth the most amount of money? Well, that's interesting you say that because just a couple months ago is when I acquired this one and it's a Zebra Batman. Funko and Pez decided to join up a little while back and they created some very unique Pez that only one or 200 people have them. I entered a contest like I like to do, and I happened to win this one. And so mm -hmm. there's only 100 of us that have this Zebra Batman Pez. Uh, right now, if I was go to go on and sell it, it's worth $500. Yeah, that's super awesome. Well, congratulations. I didn't realize that you just acquired that one. Yeah, so it's been great. But besides that, I've got some that are $40, $50. They're not very, I, I just don't, spend a lot of money on the very expensive ones because there's some that are worth, you know, five, $10,000. They're very hard to get because in the old days, people would eat the candy and then throw the dispenser away. And those dispensers became harder and harder to find unless you're at a flea market or, you know, a yard sale. That's when you'll, you'll find some really fantastic buys. But again, you're only going to be looking at 40 or $50, maybe a hundred if you're really lucky. Uh, super cool. Very interesting. Well, I guess we better get to the questions. That's what people are waiting for. Okay. Now, Dave, I'm really excited about the questions because there's a doozy in here. There's one that's really, 
really going to make you smile today. So I hope you're ready, but I'm going to, I'm going to get serious first and then we're going to dive into something fun. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Question number one, when you talk about being able to only keep a car, a house, $128,000 in cash and income of about $2,500, if you have a liquidating long-term care event, where do these numbers come from? This is a great question. This is one that we got this last week. So these numbers come from the federal government. So they're guidelines that the federal government gives regarding Medicaid allowances. Now, you need to be aware that many of these are averages, especially when we're talking about the amount of cash that you can keep or the amount of income. The federal government sets standards. So the amount of income someone can keep on the low end is $2,114. On the high end, it's $3,216. So then each state has to stay within those ranges. Same thing when we talk about the amount of cash that you can keep, and that's a minimum of $25,782 with a maximum of $128,640. And then states make the adjustment. So if you want to know how much you can keep if you were to have a long-term care event, you need to go to your state Medicaid office or go on the website and be able to look on your state Medicaid office's website and you'll be able to find the information you need to know how much assets and how much income you can keep if you have a long-term care event that requires the federal government or the state government to step in and start covering those costs that are associated with it. What happens if I move in retirement? Does this affect this as you're talking about each state? Yeah, now be aware when we talk about long-term care events, you're usually in a situation where it's very difficult for you to move. Most people are going to be stuck where they are because the need, the medical needs that they have. But yeah, if you're going to move from state to state, the Medicaid laws are going to be different based upon each state, and you'll be subject to those laws if an event like this happens. Very good to know. Okay, Dave, I'm going to try to get through this question. This is one of my favorite questions that have been asked so far. <laughs> okay, you're building it up. I can't wait to hear what it is. All right. And I know you know who this is. So here we go. How many times have you been told Bill Walton looks like you? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I have never been asked this question. <laughs> this has got to be the, one of the best questions ever. No, I have never been asked this question. So uh, the answer to that is zero. There have been no times. Now, that being said, I have played basketball with Bill Walton when I was in my 30s. So go back about 15, 20 years ago, did have the opportunity of spending an afternoon playing basketball with him. He is much older than I am. So it wasn't a real aggressive game or anything, but we spent the afternoon, he, I, and a bunch of other guys playing basketball, talking, and I got assigned autographed basketball out of the deal. <laughs> well, this makes me happy that people are at least sending us some really awesome questions like this. Yeah, I guess what you're going to have to do is use a picture of me and him on the podcast cover for the next show so people can compare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, if you remember, he, you know, he was a broadcaster. And, and one of the things I really liked is I looked up a quote, but one of the quotes was, and I know you know who this player is. He said, Greg Ostertag is one of the top centers on this planet. I, th I think Greg Ostertag is one of the only guys that's in their 40s that may be still playing somewhere in a D league out there. I noticed that <laughs> like a couple of years ago, he weighed like uh, 280 pounds and was still trying to uh, play basketball. So I guess not only is one of the best, one of those with the longest career. Yeah. 
I thought that was pretty funny. So I had to include that question in with these because we needed to throw a little humor <laughs> because the Bill Walton one really got me going. So, but I would like to know why he thinks Greg Olstertag would be the best center. That is quite a strange comment to me when you think of all the great centers in the NBA, why Greg Olstertag would be dibbed as one of the top. Yeah, I thought that was a weird quote. I mean, I was thinking like Mark Eaton or, you know, it just keeps going on and on as the, the years come. But yeah, I thought that one was a funny one, but I knew I picked that one because I knew you knew who Greg Ostertag was. <laughs> I definitely do. And I, speaking of Mark Eaton, I've actually spent time with him as well. I was in an event that he showed up to talk about an experience of walking past a guy. I'm 6'4", he's 7'4", and uh, very interesting to see him try to live his life. I would hate to be that tall. He would have to duck under every doorway. Anytime he sat at a convention table, his knees went above the table. Very awkward to be that tall and have to live in a society that's built for a five foot 10 person. <laughs> Always a funny thing to see that once in a while, but you know, we keep moving on, but I'm so glad that you have those experiences. You got to meet Bill Walton. I wish I would have had a, a side-by-side picture of you two from that game. That would have made this better. Yeah, I would assume somewhere that there is a picture. I was trying to think back about that period of time, and it seems like someone was taking pictures. I just didn't end up with a copy of it. Well, I'm going to have to get on Google and see what we find. I, I decided I wanted the ball, I guess. I wanted the autographed basketball instead. <laughs> well, kudos to you. All right, Dave, I'm ready for the third question. Okay, let's go. How do I determine the appropriate age to purchase a life insurance retirement plan? There are two things that you really need to consider here. One is the actual age. And when we consider age, the younger you are, the best pricing you're going to get when you look at a life insurance retirement plan. But probably even the more important one you need to look at is insurability. Because if you've got health issues, and even at a young age, and you're not insurable, or you're going to be insured at a high rate, maybe you're a smoker, so you're going to get rated at a lower rate than the top three categories, what you're going to find is life insurance retirement plans probably not going to work for you because the fees are going to be too high to not fit into the criteria that we want to have with a life insurance retirement plan. Well, Dave, that's all I have today. I put those three together and I've just impressed with how quickly you can knock these out, especially my Bill Walton question. Yeah, I expect to see a picture out there somewhere comparing the two of us. Now, I've not looked that close, obviously, myself, because I never thought that I would get a question like this. But yeah, I'd love to see a picture between the two. I guess I'll get to compare myself, whether I look like him or not. But uh, great spending time with you again today. And for those of you that are listening, if you have questions that you want answered, please go to our website, theprosperityguy.com. Submit those questions and we'll answer them on a future show. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of The Prosperity Gap. If you want to learn more about The Prosperity Guy, or if you have questions you would like answered on a future show, go to theprosperityguy.com. While on the site, take time to look around. We offer a number of educational opportunities for those who want to learn more about tax-free and risk-free retirement. 